In the Crime Parlor with Rigor and Mortis. I don't think I got the beginning part though. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're Such okay. Such a teaser. Such a teaser. <laughs> oh man. So, how do we want to start? I don't know, girl. I'm Midas! <laughs> and I'm Rigor. And together, we are Rigor and Mortis. Ha ha! <laughs> this is... I don't know, girl. I haven't done this before. This yeah. is my first time. Oh, goodness. Um... <sighs> Yeah, so I I don't know. Does that count as an intro? I don't know. I, I feel like so. I feel like should we should we do it in order? Like should you say your rigor and then I say I'm Mortis. Yeah. Don't put it together. And this is in the in the crime parlor. This in is the crime parlor. This is in the crime parlor. That is we should at least say the name of the podcast. I I think we put a lot of effort into the name, so I feel like I feel like we we, we need to try this again. Okay. Let's start again. <laughs> Are you starting or am I starting? You can go ahead and start. Okay. I'm Rigger. <laughs> You're not Rigger. <laughs> I'm leaving. Girl, I just feel like this so... in. You're good. Because it's just, it's mostly just like, at the end of the day, it's you talking to me. It is. I don't know. I just feel like <laughs> it's so awkward. Um, I'm Mortis. I'm Rigger. And this is... In the Crime Parlor. With Rigor and Mortis. Yes. So, so. First, first episode. First episode, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, so we have a lot of fun things planned. Okay, so, uh, our drink of choice is an old-fashioned. Um, if you don't know, an old-fashioned is made with bourbon, uh, club soda, bitter, sugar, um, and of course, ice. Uh, so, the reason why we chose this, um, it was kind of, excuse me, around this time, um, and I found this through theobserver.com, but, uh, com. <laughs> that, dot com, that apparently at the time, uh, liquor was absolutely terrible, <laughs> and, uh, people were scrounging to make whatever they could, and to improve the taste of the whiskey, mm -hmm. uh, they began to put sugar and bitters. So uh, this kind of gave birth to the old-fashioned cocktail. Ooh, very fancy. Um, oh, and, and, and this has to do with your case. This does have to do with my case, and we'll get to my case in a little bit, but... Um, we are, first we should explain why we wanted to do this, because there are a lot of true crime podcasts out there, and they're not all the same, but we were sort of wanting to create our own, put our own spin on it. So yeah, so that's, that's mostly why we were, we, we listen, we both listen and are fans of true crime, but we listen to very different podcasts Very on the different. subject so sort of wanted to create our own mostly because like the ones I listen to they're getting like somewhat repetitive and nowadays they don't even talk about like true crime true crime like there have been a lot it's of like just, just banter yeah like an banter. hour and a half of banter and well I love that part I do want the the crime aspect if I wanted to listen to just banter I'd listen I do listen to have you ever heard of the basement backyard no. It's it's essentially just these two friends who banter back and forth for like an hour and it's hilarious. But that's not something I want in a true crime <laughs> but that's not something I want in a true crime podcast. Why can't I say it? I don't know. So that's essentially what like about a month and a half ago we sat down and just started kind of planning this and uh oh, you're frozen. You froze. I you froze too, girl. Okay, good. It wasn't just me. I so. panicked. I panicked. You're I was good. like, is my internet going out? Because <laughs> my computer was not connected to the internet when I started, and I couldn't figure it out. Well, luckily we're troubleshooters. We're trying our best. We're trying our best. Um, but yeah, so that's that's essentially why. I mean, we're I I 
don't know when I started to become a fan of true crime. Um, so for me, uh, I do. You do? I do. Um, it goes back to to ninth grade. Okay. And it kind of matches up with my case today. So Ooh. I'll share a little bit more. Okay. Do, do we want to figure out who's going first? Do you want me to tell you about my case and and my interest right now? Well, I feel like that was a pretty natural segue. Okay. Do you want to just jump okay. right in? Sure. Right. So Who you um, <laughs> I am going to be doing Charles Lindbergh Jr.'s kidnapping. This is the Lindbergh baby, not the not the, this, the man was not kidnapped. No. Okay. It, it was Junior. He he he's a Junior, the little babe. Um, but I kind of got into true crime in ninth grade, just just a wee bit, um, because first of all, I didn't necessarily like my English teacher, and at the time, in ninth grade English, we were given, uh. Kind of two things, and I don't remember like when they happened, how they happened, but one of the things that we were, one of our assignments was that we were basically assigned a hero to write about. And <laughs> I was handed, because we weren't even like, I don't even think we were like picking them out. We, yeah. we were handed. And I was handed Dr. Seuss. Ooh. And <laughs> I, it was his real name. And I, at the time, had no idea. That, that was actually Dr. Seuss. And one of my friends behind me got Charles Lindbergh. And at the time, I was also in my intro to technology education. And we were talking about play, uh, planes. And so I was really into planes. And I think at one point I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind becoming a pilot or flying or doing something with planes. Like, I, I got really into it. So I was also... So kind of in both places, I was learning about planes and Charles Lindbergh and all of that jazz. And then shortly after that, we had an assignment where we were able to like pick a book to do like a book report on or something. And I got in cold blood. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, in ninth grade, reading about these murders and all of this stuff. And yep. I mean, it was, it was very interesting. And so I could blame... My ninth grade English class on me kind of venturing into okay. crime. Fair enough. And getting interested. So Can I ask a follow up yeah. question? Maybe. <laughs> um I won't I don't have any intense questions yet. How did did you switch with the person behind you then? I did. And you didn't get yeah. in trouble? Like it wasn't documented that you Oh had no no no. Dr. We were Seuss. we were allowed we were allowed to Swap. make a trade. Okay. But yeah, I had to write a whole paper on my uh Charles Lindbergh was was a hero my hero specifically and like I was like I mean we probably could have picked anybody we really truly wanted and could made a really nice paper about it but yeah I had to write about Charles Lindbergh who I don't really know if I knew about at that time other than like he was a pilot we are a product so. of the American education system so yeah I know right <laughs> well I was gonna say like it it was it was a very interesting English class, I will tell you that much, because mm. she used to be a former librarian. Okay. And it was a very boring class. So. I will tell you, <laughs> I want to say it was my ninth grade English class, but I want to say it was probably earlier. It had to have been like seventh grade, because we were in the old old new building. My high school was a mess. But there was a <laughs> building that was built in the 70s. We called it the new building, even though it was clearly an old building, because there was orange carpeting on the walls and there was a newer part of the building that was called the annex i didn't listen it's a mess anyway i had an english class and we had to write a resume for a historical figure and we were sort of assigned um a, a historical an historical figure from a book that she had in the classroom and she assigned me joan of arc and after the second class because this was like a three-week plan thing. I don't really know. Uh, the book went missing. No one could find it. No <laughs> idea where it ended up, nothing like that. So it, it wasn't just me that was doing it. It was someone in another class. So between the two, we couldn't finish the assignment because the book we were working off of disappeared. <laughs> that being said, I know very little about Joan of Arc, even to this day, other than she... Did you do an episode? Mm-mm. Am I wrong? 
Uh, I did not do an episode about her. Oh. I used to have but a different podcast. I was going to say, maybe we've talked about her before then together. I feel like I don't we have remember. talked I feel about like her. Maybe. I don't know. Oh. Uh, these ninth grade assignments, though. They, I feel like people like, were just struggling. Yeah, maybe. I don't yeah. know. I also had to write a resume, me being a pilot. Oh. And I, I was... <laughs> Girl, apparently I was into planes, and I don't do anything with planes now. I see that. It's not anything I would even venture into anymore. I would. I would. But that's beside the point. Lindbergh baby. Lindbergh baby. Okay, so let me open up my notes. Um, So, for this case, I kind of looked at a few different sources. The first one I have is uh, Wikipedia. And then... I also used FBI.gov. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, right, super fancy. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, Charles Lindbergh was born in February of 1902, and he was famous for flying his plane, the Spirit of St. Louis, in the first nonstop flight from New York City to Paris in May of 1927. So this flight took over... 33 and a half hours and it was the first solo transatlantic flight and the longest flight at the time i can't even imagine what 33 and a half hours by yourself is like so seriously <laughs> and especially in a plane and i was like they had bathrooms well i mean he was the only person there and there surely was not autopilot so yeah like but I still can't imagine being over top of an ocean Mm-mm. for 33 and a half hours. That would truly freak me out. Nightmare fuel. So, uh, this flight earned him a Medal of Honor from President Coolidge, Coolidge sorry, and the Legion of Honor, which was the highest French order of merit. Um, and the few following years, he earned many other awards. Um, and then in 1929, he married Anne Spencer Morrow, and she was the first woman to receive a U.S. glider pilot license, and she served as a radio operator and co-pilot to Charles. And then on her birthday in 1930, uh, June 22nd, little Charles Jr. was born. So and this is kind of where Aww. the story starts. Um, so uh, let me kind of back up. Uh, so this is kind of where the story starts in 1932. Um, during the evening of March 1st, Charles Jr. was discovered to be missing from the Lindbergh house. Um, the child's nurse, Betty Goh, reported to Anne and Charles that Charles Jr. was missing. So, when Charles went up into the nursery, he apparently found a white envelope on the windowsill. Uh, this was on the second floor. And he believed it was a ransom note, so he apparently did not touch it before he called the police. Um... And when the police arrived, they did a search of the grounds. Um, Two sets of footprints were found outside the house, as well as a ladder, um, which they assumed had been used in the kidnapping. Charles apparently found a white envelope on the windowsill of the nursery, uh, which was on the second floor. Um, He believed it was a ransom note, so as he stated to the police, he did not touch it before he called the police. Um, When the police came, uh, they did a search of the grounds and found two sets of footprints um, outside the house, as well as a ladder, which they had assumed had been used in the kidnapping. Um, Apparently, this ladder was broken during the ascent or the descent, um, and there were some traces of mud found in the nursery, but there was no blood or fingerprints. Um, The letter was a ransom note that demanded $50,000. Spelling and grammar were, were not the best. Um, the note said that they would contact again within a few days to tell them where to deliver the money and not to get the public or police involved. A smudged fingerprint was apparently found on the ransom letter, um, and it had this, like, kind of neat circle kind of signature at the bottom, multiple circles um, overlapping. So The signature or the fingerprint? Uh, the, the, there was, like, a... A signature like a really interesting yeah. signature interesting so um and then on march 6th a second ransom note was received by uh colonel Lindbergh, and it raised the demand to seventy thousand to be followed by a third ransom note on march 8th 
received by uh, the colonel's attorney. So, um, Dr. John Condon, who was um, a retired, oh gosh, superintendent, I believe. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, so he he offered to be the go in the go between um, okay. and publish this offer in a newspaper. And then the next day, a fourth letter was received, and they accepted uh, Dr. Condon as the go-between. So then Dr. Condon started negotiations through a newspaper column. Um, and sure enough, over the next few uh, days, more and more notes were kind of discovered. So on March 12th, an uh, actual note was delivered by a random taxi cab driver who apparently got it from a stranger, someone they didn't know. Um, and this note was uh, leading uh, Dr. Condon to a near a subway station, and then he found a sixth note. And on here were directions um, to meet with a man that was named or called John. And they, when they met, they discussed the ransom money, and Dr. Condon asked for a token of Charles Jr., uh, I guess to kind of make sure, because at this time it was a rather large case, mm -hmm. um, and this was quite a few days, so a lot of people um, were, you know, offering up different tales and things like that, so hmm. they obviously wanted a token yeah, uh, to know. Life. Yep. So, um, over the next few days, more newspaper columns were placed, and a seventh note and a sleeping suit of Charles Jr. were delivered to Dr. Colden on March 16th um, and this this sleeping suit was Charles Jr.'s apparently yeah. um, so an eighth note uh, followed on March 21st and then there was a lot more uh, just kind of going back and forth and the tenth note was received on April 1st so you know about a month later and it asked that the, that the money be ready for the following night um, so the next night on the 11th, uh, or sorry, not the 11th. It was this, uh, the 2nd, but it was just like the 5th note. This was the 11th note. There was, oh, okay. there was a lot of notes here. There yeah. was a lot of I was going to say, girl. these are very communicative kidnappers. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, well, and, and the thing is, at one point they were wondering if all of this, all these notes were truly from the same person. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of talk about it later. But yeah, the the... What they were saying is all the handwriting, like grammatical errors and things like that, um, handwriting all looked to be of the same person. So as I'm saying, this is the 11th note and it was delivered just the way the fifth note was. Uh, once again, random taxi cab, random taxi person. person said it was from a random stranger and hmm. it was directions once again to meet up with John. So um, during this meeting, uh, $50,000 was exchanged and he, Dr. Condon, was given directions on to find how to find uh, Charles Jr. And it was stated that he would be uh, near Martha's Vineyard on a boat named Nellie. Nelly. So, Nellie. And of course, there were searches in this area, and both were unsuccessful. Hmm. So, um, nearly a month later, uh, a body was found a few short miles from the Lindbergh house. Uh, partially buried with a few dozen feet from a highway. Um, this body was to believe, believed to be Charles Jr., which apparently was confirmed by the baby's nurse, um, by the toes on his right foot, I guess. Um, they were very distinct. So um, the coroner uh, ruled that the baby, Charles Jr., had been dead for about two months, and he had died by a blow to the head. Mm. Um, so, during this investigation, of course, people were questioned um, and re-questioned and over and over again and things like that. Uh, Violet Sharp, who was a waitress to Mrs. Lindbergh, um, was going to be re-questioned re for the fourth time, um, and before she was re-questioned, uh, she died by suicide on June 10th, 1932. Mm. She was later deemed to have been no connection um, 
she had an alibi for that evening and everything. Oh. So it was something terrible. Um, and like I said, there was a ton of other things going on during this time that like were later deemed, you know, not connected at all. People stating that they saw people, um, Dr. Codon Condon at one point had, um, said he'd even seen the guy that he was like named John, um, and apparently chased after him. So, so there's a lot of different stories about what had happened. Um, and I know police and FBI, uh, state police and things like that. were all looking into all of these different things, many different kind of, um, rewards were kind of offered up for some information. Okay. Um, and also during this time, they were, uh, because they were given this ransom, they had recorded all the different numbers and from these notes um, and different things. So hmm. they had listed out all these numbers. They were given to different organizations, banks, and things like that. So they were looking for the this money, the, the bills from the ransom. So nearly a year later... Um, on May 2nd, 1933, um, this, this, some of the ransom, uh, bills were traced back to Richard Hopman and he was arrested and interrogated and beaten, uh, the following day and night. Oh, um, he had stated definitely before yeah. Miranda writes. Yes. <laughs> um, he was stated that the, that this money and some other items were left behind, um, a business partner who kind of cheated him out of some money. So this business partner had fled or had left for Germany shortly after. And, um, you know, uh, Hopman had decided that this money he had found was, he knew to be this guy's and he owed him money. So he kept it. Okay. So, um, he, he kind of denied any, connection to any of the, uh, of the Lindbergh, uh, stuff. Um, but as we said, these bills were apparently a match. Um, and at that time, um, there were a lot of other things being looked into. So they had determined that, um, like I said, the letters, the ransom notes were all written by the same person. There was broken English, um, or, well, sorry, not broken English, but not, correct English usage. Um, so a bunch of, uh, sorry, experts had deemed that this might be someone who, uh, first language was not English. Um, Dr. Codden had also, um, described the person he was meeting, um, as foreign, kind of not, not speaking proper English and things like that. Um, and so, when they had searched Hopton's house, they had also apparently found some additional evidence that would link him to the crime. Um, one of these was a notebook that had the construction of a ladder. Um, mm. So if you think back, there was a ladder outside of the nursery. And also at this time, an expert was brought in and kind of looked at the material that the ladder was made out of, um, you know, the way the nails were even set and things like that. So they also kind of looked throughout, um, Hopton's home and they found apparently the same wood, uh, was discovered in the attic of his house that the ladder was made out of. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so Hopman, of course, you know, later in trial, um, uh, said that, you know, the sketches in the, the book weren't his, um, and things like that. So, um, on September 24th, 1934, um, Charles Lindbergh was, uh, accused of extorting the ransom. And two weeks later on October 8th, he was indicted in New Jersey for the murder of Charles Jr. And he was given over to New Jersey authorities. Okay. So he was moved until into the Hunter Huntingdon County jail, um, on October 19th. Um, so as I said there, they apparently had this evidence against him, which was, uh, very similar handwriting and like grammar and spelling. Um, 
the there was a bunch of experts brought in said that they were basically um there were so there was a lot of similarities between the handwriting um and then there was a few other things um like i said like the notes on the bills were matching up and more were found at his house um so and then the wood that was actually used for the ladder um as i said there was like distinct nail holes um the joists that were found in the attic also had those same nail holes so there, there was definitely a lot of coincidences here um and things that you know eventually pent out to um have him be uh a suspect oh my gosh yes <laughs> um <laughs> sorry oh my god i was like what am i trying to say um so he was uh con uh what am I trying to say? Man, he, did he, he was ruled the person that did it. What am I trying to say? He, he was, he wasn't convicted, but he was, was he convicted? He was, he was convicted. Yeah. He was that's convicted. What I, okay. Oh my God. Why couldn't I think of that word? Sorry guys. It's uh, one of those days. <laughs> um, so yes, he was convicted and then kind of sentenced eventually, uh, to death. Oh, so yeah. Um, apparently, oh, I, I forgot to mention, apparently he had been in the area, spotted in the area, um, a few days before the kidnapping or the day before the kidnapping. Um, so once again, there was just a lot of things that kind of lined up perfectly for him to get convicted. Right. Um, re leading up to his death, um, he was offered a confession, uh, or to, to have a confession, um, in a newspaper, um, and they even offered to um, stop his death sentence and give him life without parole. Patrol. Um, <laughs> kind of the patrol. same thing. I, I, she can't wander no, around I, I, checking I just, the perimeters. You know, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> this is not, not a good place in the story to be. Joking. Fumbling my words. God. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he... He still kind of pleaded his innocence, and he was electrocuted on April 3rd in 1936. So, there have been, uh, so even though there was a ton, like I said, a ton of, co like, things that were, were too similar or can't really be explained, um, there have been, over the years, um, tons of questions about all of this. Um, I mean, this was someone at the time who was famous, uh, Charles mm -hmm. Lindbergh, um, won many awards for the things that he was doing. Um, so, so people kind of were starting to question and, and like I said, there've been books about whether or not Hutman actually did this. Right. Um, so a lot of things like, um, inadequate police work, mm -hmm. um, apparently Charles Lindbergh, uh, interfered a lot with the um, the investigation. Um, and, and like I said, there was a lot of coincidences and, and the fact that Hutman also was claiming innocence through the whole thing. Um, and, and a lot of just cooperation about different things. So th there's definitely a few theories, um, that, that Hutman didn't do this. Okay. Um, so, one of them had to do with the purple gang, uh, gang, and I didn't look too much into that at the time. Um, the mafia and things mm -hmm. like that were huge. And once again, Lindbergh is a a famous person. So, and and like I said, there was also a lot of other kind of fraud going on. Um, there were other people reaching out because, of course. In the ransom note, they didn't want the public to be involved, but also didn't want the police. And then it was mm -hmm. public. So people were reaching out saying, you know, that they knew the person or, you know, there was people offering up their own money as ransom and people then were getting reached out that way. So there, there was just a lot going on. Um, so there's possible theories of mafias, purple gang and things like that. Right. Um, there, there's some people that were questioning why Hopman had actually been electrocuted. Like, should he have just had like, like he was offered, um, like life within prison and no parole. Um, 
There was a theory that uh, Lindbergh accidentally killed his son in a prank called Wrong. Um, that he apparently had put the ladder the himself and tried to bring his son out the window. Um, and he dropped him. Ooh. And as I said, the body was only found a few miles from the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this, that uh, a blow to the head was... Yeah. The cause of death. Yeah. So, so there is this possible theory um, that, you know, Charles Lindbergh... Um, in a freak freak accident kind of type of thing yeah accidental death yeah um and then there's even some other theories um i don't know if i mentioned this hopman was um apparently uh of german um descent himself i Mm -hmm. believe he actually uh was born in germany and that's why um his english was not proficient um but they also believe that possibly he was like tied into some other kind of German action. Um, and then I know that you read into this that mm-hmm. that Charles um, and his wife actually fled to Germany after this. Yeah. Um, and had some involvement over there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Charles Lindbergh was decorated. He was given an award by Hitler himself and was part of the America First movement during the before America became part of World War II, he was part of the movement to prevent America in America's involvement because at the time we were neutral. Yeah. So, so there is that theory there um, that this was kind of just a Hopman played a small little piece in this like German conspiracy. So, did you discover anything about the theory that he uh, Lindbergh himself was a eugenicist? I did not see that. Do you? I don't remember where I saw it. So, like, I'm not going to, like, go super in-depth into it because, like, so many true crime stories over the years, at some point, they all just blur together. But the theory that I heard was Charles Lindbergh being, you know, uh, a Nazi, as he might have been, um, he was a eugenicist because, you know, the Aryan race thing and everything like that. Charles Lindbergh, the face of um, the Aryan nation somewhat in America. Um, he, his son had some de- developmental disabilities um, and because of that, Lindbergh orchestrated the baby's death and then this whole thing came from it because he's the most famous man of his time at this at this point right like he's elvis he's johnny depp chris evans trying to think of like comparisons not to say that they're obviously genesis but like the level of fame that he has is the level of fame that that those guys have nowadays right and he can't just be like oh my son died and then, like, someone noticed and, like, he tried to cover it up by d- this whole kidnapping scheme. But, again, don't quote me on that because, like, I don't remember where I heard any of that. So Yeah. Well, and I'm obviously on Wikipedia and FBI.gov. Yeah. They're not good. They're not going to go super in-depth like, yeah. into, into stuff like that. But, yeah. So. Oh, but it, it was fairly interesting. And, quite honestly, like, thinking back to ninth grade English, I... I wrote about some of the stuff, but I hadn't looked into it so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of like, oh, you know. Because he wasn't really your hero. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> Not at all. And I, I don't know. Just mentioning, oh, probably that he had a son and the son was kidnapped and it was okay. this huge national right. involvement, you know. Well, like, so. honestly, besides the fact that his baby was kidnapped and then murdered and died essentially in the very tragic experience it was a very small part of a very expansive life that he led so that's fair if you're looking at it from that perspective i'm pretty sure it was like a paragraph in my paper so it, it definitely was interesting um and like i said like the things that they were able later to to determine to attach hopman to this case mm-hmm. um i mean some of it easily could have been planted like like the design a, a book with a design of a ladder right um but the fact like the 
apparently the wood was linked, had the same holes and stuff. It, it, it definitely like, th- there are lots of coincidences that yeah. are hard to say no to. Yeah. But once again, we don't know how true some of this stuff is. Right. Police work back in the 1930s. It was not great. <laughs> even, yeah, the Black Dahlia comes to mind. Well, yeah, and, and also, like, um, I I read another source. I can't remember if it was another source or if it was off of um, FBI.gov and Wikipedia, but they had, like, dozens of people in there. Mm-hmm. Like, not only did they have a lot of workers um, within the family's house, household and stuff, right. um, but the police coming in, public coming in, uh, they destroyed the outside of the crime scene. Mm-hmm. So so footprints, like, they couldn't even get that evidence because it Before was, it was, it was destroyed. completely destroyed. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So. That's interesting. That, that's my case. My nice. case. Um, so, you ready for mine? Yeah, girl, let's go. All right, we got our stretches in. We did a little extra research. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to pull up my notes. I can't see you because of... I mean, fact that I I'm... couldn't see you, girl. I couldn't see you. Fair enough. Okay. I went for it. I went for it. <laughs> Just felt it. Um, so I am going to talk about Pearl Hart, the Lady Bandit of Arizona. Uh, my sources for this are Wikipedia and legendsofamerica.com. Um, uh, dis- you going to state all our sources like that? <laughs> yes. Dot com. Um, it's a requirement. Um, so a disclaimer on this one that there are a lot of, uh, details that are uncertain. Uh, the reports are often contradictory to each other because everyone wanted to put their two cents in and you know, eyewitness reports are always like not a hundred percent. It's basically like that, but with her most of her life. So, um, (laughs) just putting it out there. Um, uh, Pearl Hart was born Pearl Taylor in the Canadian village of Lindsay, Ontario in 1871. She was born... Born as Pearl Taylor, she's a French descent, and she was one of several children brought up in a respectable middle-class family. Uh, her parents were religious and pretty well off, so... I scrolled too far, hold on. So Pearl was given a, a very good education, When she was 17, she was enrolled in a boarding school where she became enamored with a young man whose last name was Hart. Um, And he was described vicious... uh, (laughs) Viciously. He was described viciously. viciously. What is wrong with me? Whoa, girl. It's because I took a nap today. I don't know. know. At age 17, (laughs) she was enrolled in a boarding school where she became enamored with a young man named Hart. His last name was Hart. Um, He was described... As a rake, a drunkard, and or a gambler. Pearl soon eloped with Hart, who sometimes worked as a bartender, but most of the time he would just lose whatever money he did make at the gambling tables. Um, Their marriage tended to be pretty difficult, uh, one hardship after another, and they broke up and reconciled a few times over the years. In 1893, they attended the Chicago World's Fair, where he sometimes worked as a midway barker. And the Chicago World's Fair, I just want to talk about in full, because there was so much that happened. Um, but hold on, yeah. really quick. Yeah. What's a midway barker? Midway barker. Um, Sorry. A, a barker, I'm sure midway is a location. A barker is sort of someone who's like, step on up to the blah, blah, oh, blah. Okay. That, that's a Yeah, okay, makes sense. Sorry. That's a barker. Um, that's what my dad did when he worked um, oh. in the uh, carnivals. Um, my dad was a carny, um, among other several thousand jobs. Um, Pearl worked several odd jobs during this time, much like my father. Um, when she was there, she became enthralled with the Wild West shows, specifically with Annie Oakley, who she saw performing. She also attended the World the World's Fair Women's Pavilion, where she listened to several women's speeches, including Julia Ward, sorry, Julia Ward Howe, a prominent women's activist and a poet. Um, She was inspired by seeing these strong women and enamored by her heroes in the legends of the Wild West, so she finally mustered the courage to leave 
her husband and boarded a train to Trinidad, Colorado, possibly in the company of a piano player named Dean Bandman. Uh, he would be in a band and he would be a piano player. Oh, that's funny to me. <laughs> okay. There she became a popular saloon singer. Um, however, she found out that she was pregnant with Frederick's child and returned to her family in Canada. Um, after she gave birth to her son, she left him with his with her mother and traveled west again and ended up in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, she was disappointed uh, in the quote-unquote west because um, it didn't have the glamour uh, that the heroes that she loved uh, sort of made her think uh, of the West. Instead, she found herself working, 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 found herself working in a coop. Uh, she found herself working as a cook in a cafe and um, doing, uh, becoming a laundress to help supplement her income from that. Um, there were also rumors that she supplemented her income by acting as a sex worker as well, but these again are rumors. Um, in 1895, her estranged husband, Frederick, caught up with her. I guess his name was Frederick Hart. They never really... They never really said that. His name was Frederick. His last name was Hart. Anyway, um, <laughs> after begging Pearl to come back with him and promising to get a regular job, they reunited again. Um, true to his word, uh, he got a job working as a manager and a bartender at a local hotel. Um... Oh, too far. While their life seemed to be happier during this time, they also began to live a little bit more wildly. Um, they would hang out a lot in saloons and gambling parlors, um, and Pearl learned to smoke and drink and use harsher drugs, including marijuana and morphine. Oh. So, two ends of the spectrum there. Um, inevitably, the couple's marital problems started up again, and after birth gave after Pearl gave birth, what is wrong with me? After she gave birth to their second child, a girl, Fred said he was bored and uh, just bored. he said he was bored with domestic life and tired of supporting his family. So, oh, oh yeah. Uh, after a violent argument between the two in 1898, Fred knocked Pearl unconscious and left and left her to ride off with Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders in Cuba. So he went to do that, um, and Pearl once again returned to her parents, but had gotten a taste of life in the West that she actually enjoyed and didn't stay long in Canada, leaving her kid there with her brother as well. So neither of them like their kids. Basically, yeah, it seems Aww. that way. Like well, That's not necessarily untrue of people nowadays, too. Mm. Anyway. Um, by early 1898, Hart was in the town of Mammoth, Arizona. Named so because they found a mammoth there. Um, just as a, side, as a side note, I figured you would um, enjoy that. Um, some reports indicated she was working as a cook in a boarding house. Um, she was doing pretty well for a time, but her financial outlook took a downturn after the mine closed. Um, that's that happened a lot in uh, these towns in Arizona. A lot of mining uh, organizations that ended up drying out or becoming unsafe, things like that. There were not a lot of safety regulations back then, surprisingly. Um, she was having a very hard time surviving on her own and became very depressed. And she did try to uh, kill herself several times, but was saved by different acquaintances. By 1899, she'd hooked up with a miner named Joe Boot. Um, this is when she received a letter from her brother that her mother was ill and needed money for medical bills, so she turned to Joe Boot for advice. Um, Joe, stand-up guy, had been planning to rob a train and had several ideas for Pearl to make some quick cash. So he's go. the kind of guy you want in your corner when you're down on your luck because he's just going to rob a whole train. Um, their first scam was to lure, for Pearl to lure men to her room, uh, allowing them to think that there was an opportunity for romance. Uh, instead, Joe knocked them out and took their money, basically. They knocked them out and robbed them. Um, however, this was not super lucrative, and 
they eventually conceived the idea of robbing a stagecoach. So the pair decided uh, they were going to rob the stagecoach that traveled between Globe and Florence, Arizona, um, which I've been there in that general area. Stagecoach between Globe and whatever it was, Florence. The stagecoach between Globe and Florence was one of the last stagecoach stagecoach routes still operating in the territory and had not been robbed in several years though uh and so because of that didn't have a guard so uh the robbery i don't know i guess the planning was pretty quick because immediately goes right into the like they're doing the robbery um on may 30th 1899 is when they actually robbed it um at a watering point near Cane Springs Canyon, which is about 30 miles southeast of Globe, Arizona. Uh, Pearl cut her hair short and dressed in men's clothing, and she was armed with a 38 revolver, while Boot had a Colt 45 shotgun. So they, uh, one of them jumped in front of the stage with their guns drawn and ordered the driver to stop. Um, and Joe kept his gun pointed at the driver, and Pearl ushered the passengers out of the coach and emptied their pockets and wallets. After taking about $450 and a revolver, after returning $1 to each passenger, the pair ordered the passengers back on the coach, and Joe fired his gun in the air and told the driver to take off. After the robbers had galloped away on their horses, the driver unhitched one of the horses and headed back to alert the sheriff. Um, unfortunately for Boot and Hart, they hadn't planned for um, their escape route, and they got lost in the unfamiliar hills. And after a couple of days, they ended up make, just making camp in uh, some gro- in a grove of trees. Little did they know that for the last uh, few days, a posse had been out looking for them, led by Sheriff Truman of Pino, Pino, Pino County. I can say things. Pino County. <laughs> and the posse caught up with them on June 5th, 1899. Um, they actually stumbled upon them while they were asleep, and Sheriff Truman reported that Boots surrendered quietly while Pearl fought to avoid capture. Um, they were taken to the Globe Jail, and Hart uh, played up her part as a lady bandit, giving out autographs and entertaining <laughs> those who just wanted a glimpse of the, quote, bandit queen. Um, following their arrest, Boots... Boots... <laughs> Following their arrest, Boot was held in Florence while Hart was moved to Tucson, the jail lacking any facilities for women. Um, the novelty of a female stagecoach robber quickly spawned a media frenzy, and national reports soon joined the local press clamoring to interview and photograph Hart. Uh, one article in Cosmopolitan, which does date back all the way to 1899, uh, said Hart was, quote, just the opposite of what would be expected of a woman stage robber. Though, when angry or determined, hard lines show about her eyes and mouth. So there are expectations about <laughs> what a woman stagecoach robber would look like. I guess so. Like, if you paint, <laughs> okay, an, okay. If you paint an image in your mind, okay. But, like, why do you have to talk about her her, like, her lines around her, her face? Just let her be a stagecoach robber. Why do we have to comment Jeez, on her Cosmo. Jeez, Cosmo. This is what you expect from Cosmo, if we're being completely honest. But it's just like, what the oh. hell, man? Locals also became fascinated with her. Um, one local fan gave her a bobcat cub to keep as a pet. Because that's what you want. Dangerkin. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck? Disclaimer, you're going to hear the tippy-tappies of doom. That is my dog. Uh, not a bobcat. It's not a bobcat. It's just tippy-tappies <laughs> of doom. A few weeks after her capture, Pearl escaped from the jail on October 12th, 1899 with another prisoner by the name of Ed Hogan. Uh, taking advantage of the relatively weak building material, she escaped through a hole uh, 18 inches uh, around. Yeah, I'm assuming it was circular. So an 18-inch hole. So she made it through. Um, as another posse quickly pursued her and Hogan, Pearl's legend grew throughout the West. But her freedom would be short as the law found her and returned her to jail. 
and her trial did take place in Florence in November of 1899. During the trial, she insisted that the court had no right to place her on trial, saying, quote, I shall not consent to be tried under a law in which my sex has no voice in making. Fuck yes. Oh, right? Yeah. Do you like that? I do like that. I shall not consent to be tried under a law in which my sex has no voice in making. Uh, though she admitted her guilt, the jury still acquitted her, most likely because of her story of robbing the stagecoach only to send the mother her, her mother her mother the money. Oof. Her lawyer had also pleaded with the jury that it was her first offense and that she had always obeyed the law in the past. We're not going to pretend to remember the robbing people her in her bedroom. Quote, the woman is receiving much attention, an afternoon rarely going by without her without her having lots of collars and herself being photographed. The camera fiends have taken shots of her with all sorts of firearms and looking as much the desperado as they can make her. Um, that's from a the Silver Belt newspaper from Globe, Arizona. Um, the trial magistrate, Judge Fletcher Doan, D-O-A-N, Doan, Doan, Doan. Don't. Like, low. Don't. Don't. Was furious at the verdict, claiming that Pearl, quote, flirted with the jury, bending them to her will, end quote. Yeah. Rock on. Um, as uh, he soon replaced the jury, and he had Pearl retried for unlawfully carrying a gun, because double jeopardy is attached. He can't try her for the original crimes. But this is a new crime. Um, this jury, this time the jury was not swayed by her charms and she was convicted and sentenced to five years in the Yuma Territorial Prison, which I've seen that movie. It's not, not a good place to be. Um, tried in a separate trial, her partner in crime, Joe Boot, was not so lucky. He received 30 years for his part in the stagecoach robbery. Woof. Boot was also sent to Yuma Prison where he was able to escape in 1901 and he was never recaptured or heard of again. So two escapes. Two escapes from well, from I these guess prisons. three because she got out with someone else. She did get wow. out through an eighteen and twelve. I don't know. It doesn't say how he escaped, but he escaped. Um, he, it was thought that he fled to Mexico and just never came back. So he became that problem. Um, at the time of his escape, Boot had completed less than two years of his thirty-year sentence. Um, in the meantime, Pearl became even more of a celebrity while she was in prison, and the warden, who liked the attention accommodated her with a larger-than-usual cell and a few other perks. Um, while she was there, her legend grew as she, quote, entertained visitors and reporters, often posing for pictures. Hart, in turn, used her position as the only female in an all-male facility to her advantage, playing, admiring guards and prison trustees off of each other to improve her own situation. Hart's release from prison came in the form of a December 1902 pardon from the Arizona Territor Territorial Governor, Alexander Brody. There were accounts that she and the warden were lovers. That's in a weird place. That's in a weird place. That, that might be why the warden gave her things. That has nothing to do with her pardon. But, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, after that, she moved to Kansas City. Uh, and she planned to profit from her fame as the, quote, Lady Bandit in a production that her sister wrote about her Western adventures. Following this, she worked under an alias as part of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. However, her fame faded quickly and she disappeared from public view a couple of years, uh, for a couple of years until 1904, where she was arrested in Kansas City under the name of Mrs. L.P. Keel. While uh, Hart was running a cigar store in Kansas, uh, she was arrested for receiving stolen property. Afterwards, she disappeared again until 1924 when she visited the old courthouse in Florence where she was tried. While there, she said to an attendant with a smile, quote, nothing has changed. Uh, when he asked who she was, she turned in the doorway and dramatically exclaimed, Pearl Hart, the lady bandit. I'm a fan of this lady. She's sassy. As to what happened to Pearl Hart in the end, it remains unknown. Some reports say that she died in Kansas City, where she operated the cigar store in 1925. Others say that she lived in San Francisco, California, where she died in 1952. A census taker in 1940 claimed to have discovered Hart living in Arizona under a different name as she had married again. 
Um, most often, however, she is credited with having married a rancher in Dripping Springs, Arizona, where she lived out the last of her days uh, going by Pearl Bywater, and she died in 1956. Though she's often credited with being the last person to ever rob a stagecoach, this ends up being incorrect. Um, the actual state last stagecoach robbery took place on December 5th, 1916, near Jarbridge, Nevada. Uh, during the holdup, the bandit Ben Cool K-U-H-L, uh, killed the driver and made off with more than $3,000 in gold coins. Um, Hart is also frequently credited uh, to be the only woman to hold up a stagecoach. However, this is also incorrect. Uh, Jane Kirkham was killed when uh, robbing a stagecoach along the road between Leadville and Buena Vista, Colorado on March 7th, 1879. Uh, in addition to being a staple of wet pulp... Bleh. In addition to being a staple of pulp Western fiction, Hart's exploits have been featured in other venues. The play Lady with a Gun and the musical The Legend of Pearl Hart are also based upon Hart's story. Pearl Hart is the main character for the play Waiting Women by Latina playwright Silvia Gonzalez S. So, that is the life of Pearl Hart, the Lady Bandit of Arizona. So, I had never heard of her. Yeah, I when I was like looking for like a fun first story, uh, I was like I want to do something that like you don't normally hear of cuz like some of these stories have been done to death like we could talk about Charles Manson but everyone does them. So, I try to... I like the historical ones. So. Yeah. So, are, yeah. We, are we going to figure out our next... Uh, yes, okay. Our next theme? We are indeed. So, you have it up? You ready? I I, I have the Wheel of Doom ready All right. to go. So, the way, what we decided um, was every... At the end of each episode, we were going to spin the Wheel of Doom to figure out what our next topic theme of our topics are going to be. Um, so we have a wheel uh, that we can spin that has a bunch of different topics. Do you want to read the options? Uh, you want me to read them all? Yeah. And then that way okay. they, ha they know what the other options are too. So we have serial killer drowning, poisoning, disappearance, mafia, confidence man. Stabbing, Black Widow, murder, theft, scandal, kidnapping, and famous. So if you guys have any other suggestions. Other ideas, yeah, for us, um, let us know. Yeah, so um, we are going to spin the Wheel of Doom, and then um, that will be the theme that we go with for our next topics um, on our next episode, which will be in two weeks from today, or two weeks from this Tuesday. Every other Tuesday. Okay, are you ready? 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 Wheel, Wheel of, of Doom! Doom. I'm ready. It's Confidence Man. Confidence Man! Okay, sweet. Ugh. So we can okay, we can okay. look into those. Okay, you feel good about that That'll one? Be fun. Confidence uh, man. I mean, I'm gonna have to, right? I gotta have some confidence about this. There you go. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so our next topics will be confidence men. Um, yeah, it'll be fun. Kind of an unusual okay. one. Um, so I think that's it for our first episode. Uh, whoop, whoop. It's gonna be pretty good. Um, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll put up uh, any. We'll put up more information oh. about our topics and our weekly drink of choice um beforehand so you beforehand. can have it ready yeah so you, you can, can sit down ready. and listen to the podcast if you're not driving um and just like enjoy a fun themed drink um just as a note we are not bartenders so we're not going to be creating our own these are going to probably be ones that we google and think makes sense so or you know maybe some that we have enjoyed but yes. yeah I'm, I'm not a bartender no um so all of our um show like fun things from our show will be on our instagram uh which will end our tiktok which are in the crime parlor um off both and if you want to do send us a fun email 
Um, it is crimeparlor at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah, give us a follow. Um, share with your friends. Don't forget to rate and uh, subscribe to us um, so we can, you know, other people can start to see us. Tell your friends. Yeah, if you've got some interesting cases that you'd like us to look into. Yeah. We or any suggestions for a Wheel of Doom, as we said. <gasps> yes, yeah, we'll Wheel of Doom we'll one. take them. Um, I want to change the Mafia one to more organized crime because yeah, it's not always okay. Mafia. But either way. Um, but yes, yeah, so if you have any suggestions, fun stories you want to share, things like that, um, as Mortis said. So we'll yeah. see you next time in Pat, the crime parlor. See you in the crime parlor, friends. <laughs> Are we done? <laughs>